You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm talking to you, at least for the intro of this episode, from a little bit different place than the normal Shred Shed studio. Today, I'm talking to you from a bedroom here at a bed and breakfast in Independence, Oregon, where my family and I like to come for whatever we can, really. Um, getaways. Uh, this time, we're here for Mother's Day and just enjoying ourselves, and I needed to Step away for a moment to record the intro for this, so your episode will be on time as usual. Today, I'm talking to Rob from the band Incendiary, and we really, really had a great conversation. I think you're going to enjoy this. We talk about gear, we talk about songwriting, we talk about comedy. It's one of those conversations that just goes all over the place, but flows oh so well, and I think you're going to enjoy this. Whether or not you are a fan of hardcore or heavy music in general, this is just a couple music nerds having a really great chat, and I think you're really going to enjoy this. One quick bit of business, and then we will jump right in. So, I just want to remind you that if you buy any strings from Stringjoy this month, you know, Stringjoy, the company that I'm a part of, if you buy anything from us this month, you will be entered to win an American professional jazz master. So go to Stringjoy.com for all those details. I know I've plugged it occasionally here and there on the last few episodes, but I want to make sure that anybody who is interested in that had the opportunity to get involved. So go to Stringjoy.com for those details, and I won't bother you with any other business at least not on this intro. Let's get right into this one with Rob from Incendiary. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Rob Nobile from Incendiary. What's going on, dude? What's up, Blake? How's it going? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're just going to pretend we didn't talk for, you know, seven minutes beforehand. This yeah, is the man, first time we've ever said a word to each other is right now. I'm practicing my acting chops, so that's good. <laughs> oh, man. So how have things uh, been going for you guys? You guys, I, I don't even know where to start when there's a, a band that's been around and done as much as you guys have. It's hard for me to know where to initiate the conversation because I know this isn't your first interview it's not, uh, you know, a lot of the, like the pedal builders and stuff I talk to, that's their first time ever being right, interviewed. Right. So uh, so I really get to dig into the nitty gritty. But with you, you guys have been active for so long. Uh, and it's almost like, what's new? Let's start there and work yeah. backwards. No, it's wild. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, we like pretty much go, go in waves as far as, you know, how active we are. But, mm -hmm. you know, we have our new record coming out actually in a couple of weeks at this point on May nice. 26th. So, um, Yes, yeah, so we've been, you know, just doing the runs of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, podcasts and, you know, all that fun stuff and going to be firing up more shows than we have been doing in the past few months, mm -hmm. you know, firing that up in the next couple of months um, once the record is out. So this is the this is the best time, you know, it's 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 hectic, but it's all for fun, fun things. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to just, you know, just be in it now. Yeah, for you know? sure. I, I'm sure that this. Well, maybe I'm not sure. Well, I should ask the question. Has that cycle changed in the modern era? I know, obviously, back in 2007, you probably weren't doing a lot of podcasts, even though they kind of existed back then. Not really. I mean, right. not to the level they do now. Uh, 
but was the kind of media cycle for releasing a record the same or is it has it totally changed no i mean i mean at least for us really this record and then 2017 crazily enough was the last record that we put out <laughs> that was a thousand miles there so there was there was a media cycle for that um mm-hmm. and then before that was 2013 that was our you know record prior and that really didn't really exist but that's to say like you know it's not is it is it is it how the world was and how the actual industry was or is that because nobody really cared about our band (laughs) 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 which i completely understand you know what i mean (laughs) so it's funny so it depends like i guess what what your situation is what the status is but even podcasting i know i I, man i must have gotten into that maybe 15 years ago just listening to podcasts Mm mm-hmm Things like that. Actually, shout out to Bill Burr for that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I remember he, he started this thing called a podcast. I didn't know what it was. He used to call into it, I think, on a phone into some hotline. And yeah, I think that was like oh, 15, 18 years ago. And then That's since wild. that, I started listening to a bunch, um, you know, from there. But uh, it's cool to just be a part of this stuff now, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I, you know, sometimes I get the question you know, it's like the, what do you do? And then how long have you been doing it? And all that. And I was like, Oh, I've been doing the podcast since 2015. And some people are like, wow, so you were really early to it. I'm like, well, I guess in the broader sense, as far as yeah. like people knowing what it was, right? Yes. But no, it'd been going for a long time before that. Yeah. I guess like anything, it's like a slow burn in the beginning. And then I think uh, probably a lot with like the pandemic and people had a lot of downtime, more free time. Mm-hmm that kind of blew up. And then I think more podcasts have popped up because of that. You know, not only are there more listeners, but there are more people doing it. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty remarkable how successful it is and how, uh, you know, it's just, it's just free, free range for anybody mm-hmm. to really do and talk about what they want, which I think is amazing. It's funny that the, the people who I think most people would agree it's kind of started the the mainstream popularity of it are comedian or comedian comedy adjacent people i remember like i first heard about podcasting when corolla went off the air and went mm-hmm. to start his podcast and i think tom green had one at the same time you know and this was yeah geez i don't even know yeah like you said like 15 years ago or, or longer and i remember thinking what how are they going to do that they're going to put it on the internet and then you download it and then but like i guess the iPhone really changed everything, right? Because I remember exactly. I was the guy like going to my uh, my computer, downloading the episode, loading it on my iPod, and then hooking it, hooking it up in my car and listening on the way to work, which is yeah. just hasn't happened in years. Yeah, and it's interesting to see even you know you were naming um, you know Corolla and some of those guys like even like Conan, you know when when oh, when, right. his, when he was off of you know TV, he started his podcast. But you see a lot of these you know, big people in entertainment that are focusing more on podcasting. That's also more like the most lucrative too, which is wild. And, um, <laughs> and it just helps everything else indirectly, you know, with yeah. all those, you know, comedian shows. I'm like heavily, heavily into the comedy world mm-hmm. and like the New York city scene. I'm like, I'm just okay, a big fan of it. I don't do yeah. comedy, but I am just a huge, huge fan of it. So, um, yeah, I could talk about that all day. <laughs> it's I I am I'm not I can't I would love to talk about that actually I'm not like a huge 
well, there's not a big scene for it here in Portland. There, there, there is. There's right. it exists, and and we, my wife and I just went to a a comedy pop up show that was a lot of fun. But it's not the same way it is in New York City. I, I've I've experienced the New York City city comedy scene <laughs> a handful of times, and it's like, oh, this is a different thing altogether. Yeah, this would be addictive if I lived here. No, for sure. There's just so much of it, and uh, I mean, that's where so many, so many successful. People are, you know, cut their teeth and and uh, kind of get into it, you know, mm-hmm. and then you know branch out from there and go on to be even more successful than they already are. But it's cool to have uh, it's cool to have it that close, you know, and that accessible, especially to see it live. It's interesting to see, and I'm sure you can you can comment on this. I I've, I'm always looking at comedians who I know it's it's super hard. It's like I think one of the hardest art forms out there. I tried it in front of a small handful of friends. My, my friend had a roast for his 30th birthday, and we all roasted him. And I was like, I'm good at public speaking. This will be no problem. And I was terrible. And this is all people I know. Yeah. Like, you know, like, exactly. I can't imagine doing it in front of a, a crowd who has no idea who I am. It's, it's rough. But all that to say is I, was, I always look at some kind of the business side a little bit. It's just how my brain works. And I'm like, man, a band that can fill up this room by the time it's all divided up between everybody that's required to get the band there, man, there's not a lot left. But a comedian that can fill it up by himself, maybe he's got a tour manager, maybe they don't, you know? Oh, that's I, actually pretty nice. That's a pretty nice paycheck every night. <laughs> it, you, yeah, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. I, I've, I've said that before, and I've talked, because mm-hmm. I have friends in stand-up too, and I've talked about that where just the, uh, just the paycheck alone and the lack of overhead that, you know, comedians have microphone. It's, it's, (laughs) yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. You know, as far as like, you know, you're able to be more successful and sustain, you know, based on that, as opposed Mm -hmm. to, you know, you're splitting, might be splitting money more ways, you know, if you're in a band, but I always thought part of why I love like that stand up world. I'm fascinated by it because there's so many parallels between the music scene and how, how comedy works. Okay. Even touring and everything. So there's pros and cons. So one of the pros of being a comedian, right? You are keeping a lot of that money or most of that money, right? All that's Mm -hmm. going to you. But at the same time, you're touring all over the place, all over the country. You're in a car by yourself and it's (laughs) just you. And you're playing these, you know, sketchy towns. You're depressed. (laughs) You don't have many people to really share the uh, bad times with. Or the good time, you know what I mean? So I've heard that a lot from comedians. Whereas, really. Exactly, exactly. Whereas, all right, you're in a band, whole different type of, I guess, vibe, even though you're doing, you know, the same thing, bounced around city to city, but at least it, there is that camaraderie and support system. And then if some, you know, bad thing happens, or if you're just down, at least, at least you have people around you. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So again, you know, two different ways of looking at it and, and, and two different, uh, um, you know, sets of benefits to each. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's funny that you said that because I've always like thought about that. Yeah, I mean, it's so much of it's the same, right? You know, they, you know, the band is touring around in support of their record or trying to get noticed or, you know, whatever, just get in front of as many people as they can. Comedians are doing the same thing. They're just hoping that that translates into a different thing, you know, whether that's a, you know, Netflix special today or whether it's a, it used to be there, there were comedy albums people used to buy. So the, the parallels were even stronger. I think, uh, I don't think that happens a lot anymore. When's the last time there was a comedy record put out? I can't even think of it. 
I know now it's really just specials. It's all YouTube specials or mm-hmm. it's on, you know, Netflix and all those platforms, but an actual record audio only, man, I can't even like remember. I can't either. The last one I can think of isn't even one that I super love. It's like Billing Ball or something. And that was oh, 2005 yeah. or, yeah. or so. I remember I had a bunch of uh, like Mitch Hedberg oh, records, I love, I love especially Mitch in Hedberg. college. And, uh, you know, again, that was even before video was like very accessible. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was that was pretty life changing as far as records and comedy, you know, yes. for me, you know. Yeah. But who uh, were some comedians. Was he one that you got into early? What who were some of the comedians you got into right off the bat? Well, I was into, you know, I remember watching like stand up on TV, you know, flipping mm-hmm. through and it would be on, you know, Comedy Central. But I remember, you know, Mitch Hedberg, David Tell at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, but, you know, there was, of course, George Carlin. And oh, of course. Yeah. Chris Rock and, you know, uh, Chappelle, all of those, you know, legends who are still legends now. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just a wide array of, you know, big huge names like that. And then again, smaller, smaller names, um, you know, people on the radio, like Jim Norton, who was mm-hmm. another like legend from back in the day, still doing it. Um, and then from there, you know, you just start hearing about other comedians again, just like music, Yeah, you know, you have like your favorite <laughs> bands, favorite records you grew up listening to. And then, um, either through, you know, the credits, the liner notes in the insert or who they might be shouting out, in interviews and things like that, you know, their peers, mm-hmm. you start learning about other bands and artists. And that's how you kind of like learn about that. And it was the same thing with like all those comedy, uh, comedy records and just the comedians. I always wonder how, how many like hardcore kids and, and punk rockers were created via Metallica wearing a misfit shirt, you know, like, yeah, I think exactly. probably millions, like literally, I, yeah. I, I remember the, that's the first time I saw the Misfits logo was, I can't remember which member of Metallica wearing it. And I was like, what's that? Huh. Exactly. Exactly. And it just yeah. burned in my brain. And then I saw it later somewhere and well, I got to find the, what, you know, not, not that Misfits were my entry into that necessarily, but for a lot of people they were. Yeah. And it just shows mm-hmm. even back in the day, you know, especially when there were, were very few outlets to see music. You know, mm-hmm. if you're not seeing it live, you know, you might see it on MTV or, you know, much music or whatever it would be. Right. And something as simple as, you know, maybe Kirk wearing a Misfits t-shirt or, or you know, something as, as like mindless as that might have changed, you know, lives of people, you know, discovering the Misfits or even the band themselves, you know, mm-hmm. getting bigger just because of something as simple as that. So it's yep. cool. The butterfly effect. Man. Yeah, exactly. It really happens. So when did you get into music? So I was always into music since, uh, I mean, since as long as I can remember, probably before I was even like walking. You know, my parents always had music playing around the house. My dad played the drums when he was younger. He played in cover bands and wedding bands, you know, small stuff like that. So I would watch him play two records like in the basement, but he would always be playing and listening to everything from uh, like Lionel Richie, Mm-hmm. Diana Ross, Whitney Houston, to uh, Michael Jackson, to Jimi Hendrix, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Rolling Stones, everything in between. So he had a pretty eclectic taste in music, which I think maybe helped me when I, you know, later down the road to, uh, to just like, you know, love everything. Or I could find something to appreciate really in, in, in like any type of music, any genre. Mm-hmm. But I was, so I was always into that. And then, um, uh, 
you know, early on, I had an aunt and an uncle who were only like 10, 15 years older than me. So they were like, you know, late teens, early 20s when I was like a <laughs> right. child. So they were living with my grandparents. So I would go there like every weekend. And my uncle was always listening to, you know, Slayer, Metallica, Anthrax, all that. Um, so that's where I just discovered heavy music, realizing, not, not even understanding what these bands were, what the context of their you know roles were. I just 100%. knew, like I heard this and I was like, man, I like that. And it's like hitting me differently than this Lionel Richie song. Even yeah. though, even though his, <laughs> a lot of his music kicks ass too, but uh, sure, yeah. But that's how I kind of got down that path with like you know heavier music, um, and then I I've also always been into like hip hop. Mm -hmm. So my uncle was all, always into like rock and all that, so he got me into that. And my aunt, I remember listening to Beastie Boys and Onyx and Cypress yeah. Hill, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And and again, I was in like fourth grade, like not 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 even like seeing this stuff yet on MTV or anything, but just like listening i guess from the purest most objective uh um you know position and just like just just again knowing that i was drawn to it but not understanding anything about it mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah but were um, you in new york at the time yeah so that was all on long island so i grew up okay. on long island and that was the all hip hop. I think makes more sense if you grow up in that context, you know, yeah. versus the Midwest yeah. somewhere. You probably never heard those bands until you got much older. But it's true. Being young yeah. and hearing it in New York City makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's cool. Like it was very. Um, and again, I feel like hip hop and you know whether it was rock, metal, hardcore, whatever you know, all those genres, hip hop and you know like the like the rock world, they were also I feel like very like similar. Where again at the time it was kind of like the alternative music to listen to. And I remember as a kid just being like, I, I don't think I'm supposed to be listening to this. <laughs> you know, I'm like sneaking into, you know, my aunt's room, taking like CDs off of her shelf and just like sitting there by myself, like listening to this stuff. But they were both like kind of like off the beaten path at the time. And I'm sure that, you know, had something to do with me being so drawn to it, you know, especially that young, you know? Right. And feeling like you're not supposed to. Yeah, yeah. Like, or this is for adults or wh yeah. whatever the case may be. Yeah. I definitely remember being drawn. I was always into like horror stuff and scary mm. stuff. And that was largely kind of fine with my, my family as far as like, yeah, I'm reading. Yeah. Of course, Blake's over there reading a book about mummies because he's a weirdo. You know, that's what I do. But like the heavy music started a little, like a lot later, not super. I mean, the normal time, 12, yeah, you know, yeah. ish somewhere in that ballpark. And it was just a world that my family didn't understand at all, like right? At all. So you know, I, I was in there, but they were you know relatively supportive of it. They didn't like they're like get that out of here. You can't listen to that. it. Was none of that, but it was definitely like, well, what, what's that now? Like, what, well, what? exactly. Yeah, you know, what? I mean, I, I I had the same parents growing up. You know, like they weren't like overly strict, but at the same time, I mean, my dad was more open because he was into like music. He didn't really, right. didn't really care as much, but my mom was real strict. But I, you know, it was a classic mom, uh, move where it's like, you know, as long as if there's a parental advisory sticker on the CD, then just no question. You're not going to be able to listen to it. <laughs> right. Or if it's a, if it's rated R, you're not watching it again. I was like really young, but actually like, um, I remember my uncle and I had this had this process where he would take me out. So for, it was if it was my birthday or whatnot, mm -hmm. he would take me to Tower Records. He would buy me all these CDs that I wanted, 
and any CD that had a parental advisory sticker, we would take the sales sticker off of the cellophane and put <laughs> yeah. it over the parental advisory sticker. <laughs> it was insane. And like, it was my uncle's idea. So I, I thanked, thanks to him, I had all of these CDs that I probably would have never been able to like allow to have. Oh, man, but, parental um, advisory stickers. Yeah, but that That's was like, like uh, that was a nice <laughs> Thanks, hack. Tipper Gore. Yeah. Thanks a lot, yeah. Tipper. But that was a nice <laughs> hack back in the day. It was just funny to even think think about that or think about having to do that, you know, when all that stuff existed. But it was cool. I remember have, having to do similar things, like, you know, get it, get it unwrapped real quick and take it out and flip yep. it around. You know? Yes, <laughs> yes. Just flip the book around too if it was on the actual insert. Right. Well, I, I know my generation, we, we grew up with the massive booklet of CDs. Yep. Right. Yeah. And so sometimes it was just a matter of getting the CD out, mm-hmm. getting it in the booklet, and then just stashing <laughs> the, the cover stuff somewhere, you know, kind of lined up on a shelf. You can't see it on the spine, right? Just kind of line it exactly. up on a shelf. It'll be fine. Exactly. But, but uh, yeah, man, it's funny. I miss, but, miss looking at all that stuff, you know, <laughs> holding a it. Funny one, a funny one I've brought up on the show before. Like, again, my parents were very supportive. Like, my mom, we lived in like this 1200 square foot house, and I would set my drums up in the bedroom, which I was a horrible drummer. And I didn't even know the basics. I would set my drums up in there. I had to take them down and set them up every time because they took up the whole bedroom once I would set them up. Yeah. I remember cranking System of Down on my stereo and trying to play these weird time signatures and stuff that they were doing that I'm like, I can't even do a 4-4, like, <laughs> but I'm trying to do all this stuff. My mom totally put up with it. She was like, yeah, fine with it. Yeah, not fine with it. I'm sure she was like wanting to blow her head off, but she was she did not tell me to stop. I got to say, yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. same thing. I mean, even if my mom was strict in some capacity, but when it came to like playing music Mm -hmm. and I guess, you know, my dad being a drummer helped. But I (laughs) I, I remember broken in by that. Yeah, but 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 I remember like just playing with, you know, kids in the neighborhood or even like in high school, just making this terrible noise in the basement playing so loud. Mm-hmm. And my mom's in the kitchen, you know, just doing her thing, dealing with it. They never, yeah. never, you know, told us to stop and they never had a problem with it. And, um, you know, again, looking back on that is, is like pretty special. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's cool to, to have parents that, that, that are supportive like that. Cause I mean, that doesn't always exist. And at the same time, I don't blame parents who might not put up with that stuff. You know, no. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no. I couldn't blame them to, to be honest if they didn't mm-hmm. want to, uh, shut us down but no not at all i mean i'm 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 really lucky because like now i've got this space so my son has like expressed interest in learning drums and has taken a little bit of drum lessons and it's great because i can just be like sure yeah go go out there and play i don't have to hear it i just close the doors all right cool we're good it's a it's a totally separate from the house situation no it's nice double walls and double doors and everything so it's like close the door all right go ahead <laughs> go wild kid have fun no it's very cool <laughs> we play together sometimes it's pretty pretty fun he's he's working on it nice it's man good, it's good stuff i mean it's cool it's cool for your son because you know to just have that stuff around mm-hmm. you know even if you're not actively or you know as a kid actively jumping at it or um you know if you or if you're just like learning or getting into it you know at first mm-hmm. just having it around is is um is so much more like useful and uh it gives you like such such an advantage you know what i mean to be able to just like see it firsthand you know what i mean like to know that people could do it you know i saw my dad playing guitar and and i knew that that was a thing that people could do because you just grow up with it it becomes normalized and i remember watching some kids who were just a little bit older than me 
played because I'd, I'd grown up, I'd seen like country bands and things that were mellower. And it was just like, I mean, they were, maybe they were five years older than me or something playing rock songs. And I was like, whoa, you can do that too. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Like, it I was, thought that was for other people for some reason, not for me. But it was like, well, these kids can do it. No, exactly. Yeah. Seeing it firsthand. So I remember watching, you know, my dad playing the drums either in the basement or he would just be playing on the steering wheel, like in the car. Because whenever we totally. were in the car, there was always music playing. So I actually like learned how to play or I learned the concept of how the drums worked just by watching them. Mm-hmm. And I played myself when I was a kid, but, you know, just learned like basic stuff. And I started off actually on drums. Just picked it up from watching him, and then, um, you know, after after a while, I'm you know I'm playing the drums, and I, it's only the drums. It's not it's not very musical, especially at that age when you're not playing anything good, right? right. <laughs> Doing that, but uh, but I'm glad that at least happened. So I was in like into music even more because of that. And then speaking about you know seeing it firsthand, I remember when I was like 12, I had a I had a neighbor. I would go to his house all the time just to like hang out. And his, his older brother just got this guitar, like a little combo amp and like, you know, a Fender. Mm-hmm. And he started playing, um, started playing Come As You Are by Nirvana. Mm-hmm. And I never even saw a real guitar before up until then. And I remember just being like, oh my God, this sounds exactly like the record. This sounds right. exactly like what I see Kurt Cobain doing on, on, on MTV. Like I, my mind was blown. Like, Oh, like this is where this is like where the most rubber meets the road. You know what I mean? Yeah. Before that, it was just banging on drums, and of course, you know it's relatable, but not not as relatable as holy holy hell. This is literally the guitar riff, and it sounds exactly like it. So mm-hmm. that's what actually like changed everything and sold me on guitar. And come as you are was the first song I learned. That's a per- that. really so. That's that's yeah. awesome. That, yeah. I'm sure that's not a totally uncommon thing. Nirvana was the first song I was smells like Teen Spirit, but it was the first song I learned my by myself. Nice. Was, so it was, that was a when I realized like oh oh I can just oh it's like that, and I told just taught myself all on my own. And I, that opened up a hole. I'm like oh look what we look what we can do now. Exactly. Like, it's cool. Mm-hmm. I I feel lucky like you know especially with playing starting to learn how to play guitar. You know, I'm a 90s kid, and uh, it was all it was all that stuff on MTV, all the grunge mm-hmm. era and everything beyond that too. But a lot of it, like Nirvana, was just so uh, so relatable, and you know, it wasn't like Kerry King ripping solos and stuff like right. that. You know what I mean? Where that's just like, oh my god, that's just like, the how whole, am I gonna do that? That's like yeah. a god that mm-hmm. I would never even imagine being able to do. But then Nirvana was like, oh man. You know, you see it, you see it actually happening, mm-hmm. like in front of your eyes when you see other people playing it and then you're able, you're able to do it and you're like, oh my God, like I'm actually doing it. Like this is real. And yeah. that probably is why I would, I kept doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If it was earlier on and I was learning something different, um, again, maybe it was Metallica or Slayer or whatever it was. And if I probably couldn't play it as, as, you know, as quickly as I could play other songs, mm-hmm. maybe I would have just quit you know, sooner yeah. or, or, uh, didn't think it was possible. So I never even really thought about that until talking about that right now, but it is yeah. cool, especially with Nirvana. You know? And did you start on electric? I did. I did. I started on an electric. Um, my first guitar was just some no name brand. It was, uh, it was actually, I think it was called a Lotus. Lotus? L O T U S. It was an actual, like the, the logo was a Lotus flower. But it, I got it from some music store that was in the mall, 
near my house and it was, I got a little, a little crappy, uh, PV combo amp and, um, didn't know anything about the guitar, but it was cheap. And I, I, I picked up that thing. It was probably like a hundred bucks. Not even probably not even. Maybe and, it wasn't uh, crappy. Maybe it was the same amp that Josh Homme used on that <laughs> I know. Sony I know. stuff. Who knows? But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but that was like the first guitar, like first guitar I, I, you know, I ever got, um, yeah, just some like no name thing. And then, uh, to be honest with you, I don't think I ever, I never ever had a Fender, a real Fender guitar. I have a Fender bass, P bass. Right. But uh, yeah, actually thinking back on it, I always had, it was always Ibanez or Epiphones or Gibsons, mm -hmm. uh, Jacksons. Um, I had used PRS at, at one time. But yeah, mm -hmm. I never actually had a real Fender guitar. Interesting. Crazy. Well, but now that you say that, I'm. I never thought around. about that. It's I'm pretty like, wild. As much as I love Fender, and I I played lots of Fenders yeah. that I like, and I have Fender style guitars that other people. Yeah, I did have Strat. I because yeah, so the Lotus that I was talking about, it that was a Strat, right. like style. So I did yeah. have Strat style guitars, but just not an actual Fender. But it is funny because we're talking about Nirvana and how that right. was <laughs> life changing. But yeah, man, that's that's funny. I, I never but, thought of that. I when you said that, I was thinking like, wait a minute. I was like, no, I got one Fender, I got mm. one Fender, well, one Tele Custom in the in the arsenal, and I do love that guitar with a passion. But now that you say it, I was like, huh, yeah, all my Fenders are not Fenders except for that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're all made by somebody else. Well, I, I guess like Fender. I'll either blame or thank the fact that I've been living in Brooklyn and Manhattan for almost like the past ten years, and it's the it's the smallest apartments and living spaces imaginable. So I sure. downgraded a lot, and I got rid of so many guitars. Oh no! And and gear in general. Um, but I guess you know my my wallet thanks thanks me for that. But <laughs> if I had a house or if I had a bigger space, I probably would have tons more gear and guitars. You know, but I'm um, I'm like sick and broken. Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations in 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my talkie? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. 
Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. And that I had like a, a, like a, a room in a house, like a smallish room. And this is before I ever started down this as a career. And I was like, oh, it's getting full of guitars. What do I do? And I'm like, well, obviously, the only logical thing to do is to build a completely separate space so you can get more guitars. That's, that, that's nice. totally reasonable and healthy. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's the way to do it. Man. Hey, if you're going to do it, then do it, you know? And now I'm sitting there going, like, I'm, uh, I'm going to have to add on? Like, what am I doing? Like, this is... <laughs> Uh, I'm not selling guitars. That's that's absurd. No, that's uh, great. Hey, man, if, if you have the ability to and it's feasible, like, why not? You know. Why, and then, of course, it's not? cool. Years down the road, you know, you have your son pass it down, or that's right. You know, just having that stuff. There's so much stuff, gear wise, and just other stuff in general that I I I, I regret not having anymore. You know, sure. Yeah. As as you get older and as time goes on, but uh. Hey man, so what was cool. what was that journey like? Like where when you like you started with the Lotus? Oh yeah, we talked about what you did have as far as like your main kind of go to instruments. What what did that look like? So I mean, it switched so much. Especially when I was younger, I was like all over the place, just experimenting with different guitars and things. But uh, my um, I started taking guitar lessons for a few years shortly after I got into guitar and taught myself for a bit. And I had this guitar teacher. He was. Um, he was like, this was in the mid nineties, but he was like your, your typical guy from the eighties, just like long hair, leather jacket, high tops, ripped jeans. Mm-hmm. And he played like an Ibanez RG. Um, and to this day, he's still hands down one of the most incredible guitarists I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. He was a studio guitarist at the time and then teaching on the side. He was also, uh, I don't know if you know the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Oh Yeah. He was a, he was affiliated with that and did a lot of work with them. Oh wow! Like he cool. was like next level, and he taught he taught like on the side. So I'm like 13 years old, and he is destroying the guitar. But there's like smoke coming out of the fretboard, and I'm sitting there <laughs> with like my jaw on the ground. But because of that, my first like real guitar, I saved all my money and I got an Ibanez RG. Mm-hmm. It was an Ibanez RG 270 DX, and it was a Floyd Rose. Oh man! And I didn't even know it. what a Floyd Rose was. I just got it because I <laughs> thought it was so cool that he had it. Sure. And I remember getting it. And I remember the first week I tried to like drop drop D, change a string here and there, and the whole guitar is wrecked because <laughs> the Floyd Rose is just completely out of whack. And I'm just yeah. like, what the hell? Oh my god, what did I do? I broke it. Yeah, and I actually <laughs> yeah. brought it into my lesson, and he started laughing at me. But uh, but yeah, so you know. That was my first, you know, real guitar. But then from there, I bought a lot of stuff used. You know, I would just like save up my money, buy a guitar. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I had a, uh, I had a couple of Epiphones because I couldn't afford a Gibson at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a really good deal. I found like a PRS. I think it was like I think it's CE twenty four, but it was like less than a thousand dollars, and that Whoa. thing was like twenty four, twenty five hundred dollars. Like you know, I'm sure now. But uh, I would buy guitars, a guitar, use it, and then I would aspire to get another one. So then I would sell the current one and then mm-hmm. 
have money saved and buy like the next one. So I never really had a lot at the same time, but I was always just jumping around. And it was more just like experimenting. Like I was never like heavily, I was never like a heavy gear guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I always just utilized what I had. Um, but then guitar wise, sorry, I'm like bouncing around. Guitar wise, oh, I always ultimately um, just was drawn to like Les Paul, either either bodies or Les, Paul, or Les Pauls themselves. So that's mm-hmm. all the guitars that I play now. I have ESP, LTD, and Gibsons, all Les Pauls, or you know the Eclipse version for ESP. Right. Um, and then yeah, so pretty much like in college, that's when I started solely just playing Les Pauls. I had Les mm-hmm. Pauls Studio. That was my first Gibson that I finally got to in college after like selling guitars and doing all that. Um, but yeah, so that is like pretty much my go-to when it comes to the like, you know, guitar itself. Yeah. I feel that yeah, like Les Pauls are, are like home for me. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. Every time I pick one up, I'm like, this is, this is it. This is what a guitar feels like. And it's probably just cause I spent so much time, you know, early on. I, yeah. My, my parents were able to get a smoking deal on a Les Paul special, mm. uh, for my graduation present. And so I played that for years as my only guitar. So every time I pick that thing up, I'm like, Oh yeah, it's home. Here yeah, it is. It, honestly, it's like, yeah, it just feels so natural. It's rugged. Mm-hmm. You could beat it up, especially like the music that like we're playing. Um, but I always was just drawn to it, to be honest. Other than like uh, you know, a strat style, I thought so many other guitars, like bodies and styles, are just weird. So unnatural. <laughs> like an SG, Gibson SG. The thing sits like horizontal. It doesn't sit on you correctly. Or like, right. I, I'm just speaking for myself. You know, I know there's probably a lot of like crazy like gearheads that might freak out, but it just sits weird, right? So I always hated SGs because it just felt weird. Then like Firebird or like those longer guitars, mm-hmm. you realize with the longer body, the the um like the bridge is up further. Yeah. To like you know vote you know your left if you're you know. So um, I feel like I'm playing over to the side in like this weird way. So I never <laughs> like those guitars. And then, um, uh, and then I've been as like RGs and all that. I love those back in the day. You know, you could like fly on those, Yeah, you know, completely shred on those are so easy and like butter, but then they, they always felt like too brittle when mm-hmm. I was playing too like sensitive. I felt, felt like I was going to like break the neck off. Um, so yeah, man, it was always just Les Pauls that I, you know, I fell in love with, you know, the first time I played it. And then I always stuck to that after the fact. I'm like, man, I was missing out this whole time. You know? <laughs> well, there's something. So especially around the time you guys got started, it seemed like a lot of people in hardcore were playing Les Pauls. Like a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, Definitely in metalcore, too. Like, I had. Know, yeah. I, I, I started incendiary. I had a Gibson studio. Um. A lot of people were playing Gibsons or like a lot of LTDs. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody had those, um, like the EC or like like the Eclipse version of the LTD. Yeah, you saw a lot of those. Um, and then, yeah, I think metalcore. There was a lot of LTD. Going mm-hmm. on. Definitely, um, a lot of Les Paul body shapes. Exactly. Yeah, the Les mm-hmm. Paul body shape. Exactly. And mm-hmm. it's crazy nowadays. It's 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 back to almost to like the nineties. It's all vendors like fenders like that (laughs) and then if not that more like jackson's Mm -hmm. right like jackson and then 
I've even seen like 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 Ivan has RG like styles like similar to the Jackson. Definitely, but it's cool yeah. how that's all like coming back and goes in waves. It, it's kind of funny because like you know brightly colored you know kind of weird '80s pointy guitars fell out of fashion for so long, and yep. then it's like anything once it's gone for long enough, they become cool again. Exactly. Somehow. And now I'm like, I want a brightly colored pointy guitar. Actually, it's so funny. I'm I like, think about that too. It's so, <laughs> it is cool. Like, it is so. It is. Um, it's such a like, like you know, unique timestamp from when, mm-hmm. especially when it was like big, you know, in the '80s, especially. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's awesome to just see that back. And again, just the way younger bands, just just even fashion. I mean. It's just 90s fashion. It's everything that I used to wear when I was in right. grade school. I sound like <laughs> such an old man, but like, yeah. But it's like literally all the, all, the, all the clothes and probably a lot of the instruments, you know, that I had and was wearing at the time. It's literally exactly what bands um, are doing now, which, I, which is so cool. I, mean, I love seeing it. I had a really funny moment yesterday. I'm, I'm like a, I was born in the late 80s, but I was more, I'm more like a, early 2000s kid is kind of when I started coming into my own. And I saw a kid, no joke, in my neighborhood. Kid's probably, if I had to guess, probably 14. He's wearing a Slipknot t-shirt with like Janko style pants. Hell yeah. Skateboarding. And I was like, yeah, the kids are going to be fine. So awesome. (laughs) I love that. You know, it's cool. Again, kids now have to probably fold up their right pant leg to jump onto a bike so their yeah, giant the jeans don't get like you caught in a chain <laughs> it's like that only happened in the 90s but now they're you know they're doing it again so yeah, awesome. i'm like hey, i'm like hey we've been there before we've yeah. done this i've seen this <laughs> how this works oh you'll get into some skinnier pants one of these days <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly you'll Ten realize it's not now. worth the hassle yeah but, um... but it's great yeah man i love it i love it yeah. i love seeing that i saw i just saw this kid ollie like i was driving my car and he all i'm like hey, that that kid could have been ripped out of like 2003, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I would have believed it. I was yeah. like, that is, that is made, just made me smile. Like, <laughs> Slipknot shirt. I was like, yes, this is great. <laughs> also remarkable for a lot of those bands. A lot of the bands that we grew up with are still killing it, mm-hmm. you know, still bigger than ever. And, yeah. um, you know, just, in, you know, inspiring kids now mm-hmm. as they were for us, which is, it's just, I mean, that, that's amazing. I, I had a real pinch me. I've had a lot of pinch me moments associated with this podcast, but I had a real big one last year. I mentioned the drumming the system of a down earlier. Mm. And I was at gear fest at, at Sweetwater doing interviews and I got to interview Shavo and oh, I was like, nice. Whoa, this is full circle for me. This yeah. is wild. <laughs> and he was super cool. It was great. That's so cool, man. Yeah. That was a, yeah, the, and that kind of does show like the staying power of of some of that, like the the cream of the crop. You know, it's exactly it, it still means something to people. Yeah, exactly, and you know, there's a reason why they were as uh, successful. You know, mm-hmm. back then, and uh, you know, you see, you see, like there are, there are a handful of bands that they just kept up like the integrity. They mm-hmm. kept doing what they wanted to do. They didn't jump on the bandwagon with with the rest of the world at the time, and most of the bands that that again that I still love, that are still better than ever. You know, you see like what they did. You didn't realize mm-hmm. it at the time, and uh, it's something that I appreciate so much more now. Like as I'm older, like Deftones is oh, one example. Love Deftones. They 
I was having a conversation recently. They're like accidentally, unintentionally, probably my favorite band just because mm-hmm. I have listened to them since their first record. They're one of the only bands that I, I, I love every release that they have. Their releases get better and better as time goes on. And it's, you know, 2023, like unbelievable. Um, and it's just crazy that, you know, how many bands from, from that time, from the early 90s, you know, mid to early 90s, still, still, still exist and have, and have respect. They're still mm-hmm. respected amongst their peers and, and you know, the fans. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. My friend Dewey, he has a, a podcast called the Peer Pleasure Podcast, and uh, he lives local here, and uh, we've become good buddies. He has a hilarious Deftones story because, <laughs> you know, he he was in a band or several bands. He was actually in Portugal, the man back in the day. Uh, and like he's he's definitely had experience, you know, with a lot of the same stuff that you have. Right. But, you know, I can't remember when, but he, he got out of all that got into a trade and started his podcast. I don't know, maybe around the same time I did, but he's, uh, he's just on Instagram one day and, uh, Oh man, my mind's blanking on the exact details. I'm trying to remember. Let me look at this real quick. Deftones. I have it saved. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. Uh, yeah. Okay. Got it. I remember this now. Uh, so he's, he's, he gets a message from this account that doesn't look like anything. And he's like, Hey, this is Chino. I'm a big fan. And you know, like, you know, there's like those weird celebrity impersonation accounts yeah. that go around that send it. I mean, that's like, actually what I was instantly thinking yeah. when you just said that. So, <laughs> and that's what, it, and that's kind of what Chino's personal account. It doesn't look like anything. He doesn't uh, post anything. He's not super active. Yeah, so, uh, and it, I think he's private too. So there's just like, it doesn't look like much at all. Mm-hmm. And so he, Dewey fortunately had some friends. And he uh, sent sent the message because the guy sent his phone number. He's like, Chino from Deftones? Well, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure about this. So he contacted some people that he knew. And uh, they were like, yeah, man, that's that's Chino. Wow. He's like, what? And so he calls it. Next thing he knows, he's talking to Chino. He's like, I'm just a really big fan of your show. And I just wanted to, I found out you were local. And I thought maybe we could meet up. And Get out of here. Wow. Yeah, Chino's been on his show twice now. But it was kind of just like this weird that's the so contact. Bad. <laughs> it was just such a strange thing. That's so cool, man. But I, mm-hmm. honestly, that 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 story right there, though, that is perfect example of mm-hmm. again. I think or you know why I love them and respect them so much. Like they they are the most, or again, they at least present themselves as the most just down to earth, you know, straight up dudes. You could you could see it through their music, mm-hmm. right? It's reflected through their music too. But like just something like that, you know, people of that status, you know. I, 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 I don't think it would be common for them to be just re- directly reaching out to someone like that or just giving props to someone because they were like a fan like that. Mm-hmm. When, you know, because like he doesn't have to do that. But no, that is very cool. It's, it's very cool that uh, he would do something like that. And, you know, yeah, lives up to everything that I that I assume or at least hope. Like, I've, you know. I've only heard good things. I know yeah. he lives oh. like 10 minutes from my house, but I don't know where. <laughs> so, <laughs> Chino, how you doing? That's so good. You, you come on my podcast? <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. That'd be amazing. <laughs> like, get out of here, you weirdo. Get off my lawn. <laughs> but yeah, you should check those out. I mean, I'll send them to you. Yeah, they're, dude, I'd be down for that. Nice. They're, they're really good episodes. Dewey's very good at, uh, at what he does. But, awesome. Um, I wanted to, to. I can't believe we got this deep into this episode, and I haven't got to this. How did, how did you get into hardcore? 
Like, how did you even, I mean, we totally just yeah, like bounced yeah. all over the place. How did that happen for you? So hardcore, like I said, man, like I, I grew up listening to like everything and I don't know about you, but like when I was younger, heavy music was heavy music. So whether it was, you know, um, again, Metallica, Pantera, Nine Inch Nails, um, mm-hmm. Rage Against the Machine, Corn, whatever it was, it was just heavy music. You know, I just loved that type of thing. I never even really knew that different genres and scenes and worlds even existed. So um, it was probably just before high school or at the beginning of high school. Um, I heard about uh, this one band. They're called Vision of Disorder. VOD. Okay. They were from a town that wasn't far from where I from where I was, and not too much um, older. Like they were, I think they were like maybe in high school or college time. Um, and I would hear about them, and I would see their stickers everywhere. Okay. So I remember I was taking guitar lessons, and I would wait for my mom to pick me up. And outside of of the store where I would take lessons, there was a VOD sticker on the traffic pole at this corner where okay. I was. Okay. And right. they had the sick. They had a very cool logo. Um. And I remember just being like, all right, I just, I'm just, I have to like just buy this CD or check out this band. I keep hearing about it. And I went and bought the CD and I, and I listened to it and it blew my, my mind. The singer, Tim Williams, I, I think he arguably has like one of the best screams in heavy music. I still, mm-hmm. still love him to this day, but that kind of opened up the floodgates of that world. Cause again, I didn't really know that it really existed. And then like we were saying, I would look at the inserts of, of, you know, that CD, like the one that I got, and then others, you read about the bands that they thank and shout out. So from there, uh, you know, you hear about Sick of It All and Indecision and mm-hmm. the rest of that whole world and seeing that was going on. And then it kind of like snowballed from there. Um, there was a New York, New York hardcore documentary that came out, I think in like the late 90s. That, that sounds that, vaguely familiar. That one of my neighbors got, got a hold of. I remember watching it. And VOD is actually in it. And I remember being like, "Oh my god!" Because I didn't know what VOD looked like. <coughs> I didn't know what the I didn't know what the shows looked like either. <coughs> so I remember seeing the documentary, and uh, yeah, it was like it was like a DIY documentary filmed with like VHS camera, and it, it showcased all of the mostly New York City bands at the time, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it, Ag- Agnostic Front, Crown of Thorns, Twenty Five to Life, VOD. Um, ton of other bands uh but that that documentary again it was like shortly afterwards i saw that documentary and that's where you saw the footage of the shows because right you're not seeing it anywhere else it wasn't on the internet the internet barely existed you're not seeing it on, on mtv or or anywhere so that was what really kind of like opened my eyes to the scene and like what was going on like oh my god i've never seen anything like this before in my life i would see big concerts i've been to big concerts but when you're when you're when you see like the hardcore world and like what what's going on there, it's just regular kids. It's kids mm-hmm. that I see, you know, walking down the street, like just it, it's it, going it's, insane. It's right there, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean. So, um, so that's really what what introduced me into hardcore, and then like Long Island, especially like that. That has always had a strong, prominent scene. So, you know, you start hearing about shows um, and just going, you know, to local. Uh, local gigs that are going on and then you start meeting people and then you start be- making friends with people. And you know, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole, uh, like just world mm-hmm. and it becomes part of your life. You know what I mean? 
the music is a big part of it, but then again, you're just surrounding yourself by that and the people. So, um, so that's kind of like how a lot of us and people from Long Island, at least, and New York got into it. I know it might not have been as prominent in other areas, but I mean, it, I mean, it, it, it did exist obviously, but sure. you know, different areas, I think there's different ways of kind of finding it and, and getting into it at that time, obviously. Well, now it's just it's a really now. influential scene and area for all of the other ones as well. You know, mm-hmm. like I, here in Portland, we, we didn't really have bands like that. We had like poison idea and, but that's not the same thing, right? It's, I mean, they're great in their own way, but it's a completely different vibe and a completely different feel. Um, and we had some bands that were kind of like that, but nothing like, like agnostic front or sick of it all, or none, none of that stuff. It just was a, there's just something more like about, <laughs> about that. Like, I don't know how to describe it exactly. Well, yeah. You know what? Yeah. I mean, being it be the core of it being in New York city, I think helps. There were a ton of other bands again, like, Vision of Disorder. They were a Long yeah. Island hardcore band from yeah. Long Island, an hour from the city. They were kind of like an anomaly to to how they became big or known mm-hmm. like in that world. But for the most part, it was all New York City based, or you know, and then Brooklyn Queens around it because you know, just a big city in nature. I mean, the biggest city in the world, or one of you know, as far as mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing goes. So I think that obviously helps, you know. Yeah, and. We're- were you already playing at this point? Yeah. Yeah. So I was already playing for, for a while at that point. Um, so I want to say that this was probably, probably like not 1998, 1999. Mm-hmm. So I was like just getting into high school. And again, I was still always listening and playing other types of music. Hardcore was this, you know, floodgate and whole world that I got into. But as far as musically, I always still listen to everything else, uh, you know, amongst that. And then hardcore was just, again, just like this new thing that I never even knew existed and uh, Mm -hmm. was very refreshing. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, Right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Long Scene. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Blitz and Good Hertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with very compressed audio. You're hearing it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dynamics. 
I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lawson, I invite you to head over to chaseblintsaudio.com. I think you're going to like what you find. It, it, did it freak you out at all the first time you saw what the shows looked like? Or were you immediately like, I got to go do that? Oh, well, it's funny. So, like, the first show I ever went to, I saw Sick of It All. It was yeah. in a town oh, called man. Bayshore out on so Long good. Island. And I remember up until then, I only went to concerts. So I saw, you know, I went to this, I've seen like Smashing Pumpkins, the Beastie Boys, Black Sabbath, but in giant arenas. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I'm going to a show, and it's at, um, it was at like a, you know, like a bar, almost like a, like a, like a giant bar, you know? So like a couple hundred people we could fit in there. And I remember the first band is going on sick of it all is headlining. It's the start of the show. And I'm, I'm down to see the first band. So I literally go and stand in the middle in front of the stage. (laughs) You're like, Oh, this is sick. I got the best seat in the house. (laughs) Why is nobody else here? Unbelievable. (laughs) And then it's funny. I see the singer, the band gets on stage and it's this guy He's wearing a jersey that says Sworn Enemy. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, which, you know, another legendary band. But I didn't realize at the time. But he's wearing his own his own band's Merch, jersey. Right. <laughs> which, again, I didn't even know that it was Sworn Enemy until after the fact. But then right. the second they start, everybody just starts piling on. I remember seeing one, one kid in the corner of my eye jumping off like a table that was off to the side up over my head and I instantly just went into a panic. So I just, I just like crawl my way out of like, you know, this insanity and I go off to the side and I found safety next to the stage actually. So mm-hmm. it was cool because I was like, um, I was able to see the band playing from the side of the stage, but then watching the crowd and just being in awe, just being like, I cannot believe I'm looking at this in person. Mm-hmm. Again, I saw clips of it before, like on video, but just now I'm seeing it in person. Um, and that again, was just like another step to, uh, you know, just leading me down that route of being like, man, I need to be a part of this or I need, you know, I need to keep going and seeing these bands and I need to mm-hmm. be a part of this myself. Um, so yeah, it was very scary, but eye opening and beneficial at the end of the day. <laughs> so I lived to tell the tale. I'm glad you did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> but was it weird for you as you got a little bit older and then sort of became the band you you did you became the band and watching all these kids go nuts that had to have been a little bit of a surreal moment i imagine yeah it's crazy so as far as you know incendiary goes so we've been a band for 16 years which is wild wild right Mm -hmm. so we um you know we don't ever really tour full-time and we weren't ever a full-time band Mm -hmm. we do everything in spurts, any like, we all have full time jobs, but anything outside of work, we we dedicate to this band. So we're mm-hmm. that's how we were able to sustain and keep doing our thing. But when we started the band, we had no intention on doing anything beyond playing a couple of local shows, maybe opening up for our friends who were all in bands at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, so we all played in bands before that. Um, you know, some of us toured just did stuff more full time, but we got it all out of all out of our system. And then we're ready to kind of just like, again, do it on the like, side, but just like have weekend warrior of, type of thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
so yeah, man, it's, it's crazy. It's like a, it's like a, this weird, happy accident where we just started off just doing our thing. And, and you know, and when we, we still do, but just literally doing it to have fun, play ourselves, play these small shows and that's it. And it kind of like grew and grew. It was a slow, slow burn. Um, um, when, you know, people really started to like, I guess, know who we were in that mm-hmm. world. Um, or become that band, like you said, at least like known, you know? Yeah. It was years. I mean, there were like five, six years that we would that we were a band and nobody really cared. But um we were more than happy. We were we were doing more than we ever imagined. You know what I mean? So sort of mm-hmm. playing local shows, then oh, we could go to Jersey on this one Saturday and play. Oh man, it's out of state. Awesome. Oh, we could go to Albany and then swing over to Connecticut. We could make it a weekend. Oh, now we could like fly over to California. Like it was just a slow random thing. We would get the offers. We never planned on doing anything. Um, so then, yeah. So then, fast. I mean, fast forward to now. The fact that we're even, the fact that I'm even talking to you because we're doing this and we have a new record coming out <laughs> is insane. Again, it, it is every single thing we have done has been way more than all of us have imagined in the band, and um, it is like an unbelievable position to be in. Like, you know, it's it's so awesome. Uh, just the way that it all panned out just organically, I, I'm, I'm very thankful for it too. You know, I think it's very cool. Um, and I like how it kind of just happens. You know what I mean? Um, there was no, there was no plan really. And a lot of people, a lot of our friends or, you know, peers, as we get older, we're always like, man, I wish we could do like the incendiary, uh, do it the incendiary <laughs> way, you know, play on the weekends, do this and that. And it's like, first off, anybody can, we did right. it. So anybody can, it's not rocket science, <laughs> but then also, I mean, yeah, man, it's like, it's, uh, there's no formula to it. We literally did. We didn't even know that this record was coming out or we were going to even write it. We don't even know what we're doing next year. <laughs> like, honestly, <laughs> we do not plan anything. We literally strike while the iron's hot. We embrace all the opportunities we get. We have nothing but gratitude for the people who give us the opportunities and the people that support us. But it's like, yeah, dude, it's unbelievable. Uh, for it to all be as, um, you know, I guess successful for lack of a better word, um, based on like what we started off to do. Cause mm-hmm. again, we never, we never like, we, I say care, uh, you know, in the context of, you it know, it wasn't the career. We basically. never, we never, yeah. yeah, we were never trying to do anything. So <laughs> we never fun. tried to do Just anything, tr- but to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, everything I, we've done, everything I've always done writing wise, playing wise, I care a hundred percent and we put our full effort into it, but yes, it was all for fun still is for fun and nothing beyond that, honestly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, man, it's it, like, we're in a really special position, which I'm thankful for. I mean, I totally relate to that. I did music for, for my whole life as a side thing. It yeah. was, it was always, but I've, I've, I've explained it in a way that I'm not sure is, comes across where I is like I didn't really have a choice like mm-hmm. I love music so much I'm gonna play music I'm going to play music yeah I I never had any thoughts growing up that I would be able to do it for a career like I didn't know I would have anything to do with the music industry other than it costing me a lot of money to go to shows and buy a bunch of guitars like right, that's, right. <laughs> that's what I thought was was gonna be my con- contribution to the music industry yeah and so but now, granted, I did make a concerted effort in 2015 to get into this, but 
that's just because I just became obsessed, but I totally relate to the, like, this is, I'm going to do something else and I love this and I'm going to continue to do it, but I'm not, it's not going to be my career. We, we made a whole record, me and my band that we're very proud of. And we put years of our life into, to making it just entirely for selfish reasons because we wanted to do it. Like there was, we we didn't make any money on it. We we knew we weren't going to make any money on it. We're like, we got to get this out of our system (laughs) is, is really what it was. Exactly. And honestly, I mean, yeah, so I, I fully understand what you're Mm -hmm. saying. And I'm, I'm so thankful now, you know, when I was younger, I, I wasn't like desperately trying to be like, Oh man, I have to be in a full-time band and like do this for the rest of my life. But I wanted, I, I always wanted to be in it and I did want to do it as my career when I was younger. I didn't know what. So I played, I, like, I went to school for, for music for, for a year. Mm-hmm. And then um, I worked in studios. I did a ton of different things. And I realized during that time, whenever I was doing it, either for school or for work and it was full time, I actually did not like music. I didn't like playing the guitar. And I really like, I started to dislike it because mm-hmm. I had to do it. Music was always something that I that I gravitated towards as an outlet, you know, something to get away from from you know the real world or stress mm-hmm. or whatever. And now I'm like, oh man, music is now causing all my stress and and <laughs> it, and I'm I'm required to do it now, right? And it's not for fun, and that is part of the reason why um, I was like, all right, well, I'm glad I did the things that I did in the past. And I'm glad that I learned all the things that I did. Um, but that's, that's actually a big, big reason why I'm like, all right, I'm just going to do something sep- separate and I'm going to always be in music and do it, but mm-hmm. not do it because I have to, and I'm going to have more love for it. Yes. So, yeah. So I think that's 100%. a really cool thing. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people realize that when they're older. Also, it's easier said than done. It's not like, Oh, let me sign up to be a rock star and make millions and do this for the rest of my life. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sure if a lot of us, yeah, but a, I'm sure if a lot of us could do that, it'd be a different story. But yeah, it's reality. It's the way the world works. And you know, mm-hmm. you have to, you come to terms with that and realize that I'm, you know, I think I, I think I did it and realized that stuff early on, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm thankful for the way it all panned out. And uh, yeah. again, doing it, doing it for fun and on, you know, the quote unquote, doing it on the side or not doing it full time, I think is like, it's almost like helped all of us in, in, in our band and helped our band kind of last also. Yeah, it's, I was going to say, it certainly has helped your longevity because it's like, yeah, yeah, well, this doesn't have to quote unquote work. Like it just needs to work for us. It doesn't need to work for anyone else. It doesn't yeah. have to be bringing in a ton of revenue. That's exactly. not the point. The point is just to do it, to do it. Exactly. And, I think, yeah. so I think that, that attitude when it comes to the music that we write, I think helps because not that, not that we would, alter anything but i i understand when a full-time real band right (laughs) does their thing and they're cranking out records i understand your sound has to evolve in in a way where you you need to sell tickets you need to you need to be palatable you need you know you need to attract as many people as possible because you need to keep doing it i understand that and i think whether it's directly or, or indirectly that 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 just happens. Mm-hmm. And you're also required to be cranking out so many more records um, than, you know, than if you were in like our position, right? So the fact that we're, uh, we don't have to really be concerned with that. Everything we're doing is, uh, is as you know, pure and 
raw and what you see is what you get as far as like the music that we write and everything. And I mm -hmm. think, or I would hope that that's why a lot of people, you know, um, are into what we're doing. Um, you know, if anything, I, I hope, I hope like that's like the main reflection that we have is like, it is as real as it gets. We mm -hmm. literally don't do anything or write anything unless we think that it's good and we like it ourselves. Like, you know, right. <laughs> there is nothing else that we ever do or take into consideration. And yeah, thank right. you to everybody who's, who's like into that. Mm -hmm. So that, and then the fact that again, you know, when we're, when we're playing shows, the shows that we do play, you know, we'll be playing in Chicago. Awesome. Everyone's coming out because they don't know when we're going to be back. And we don't know when we're going to be back. <laughs> so <laughs> you know you what I mean? Better show up. No, yeah. but, but you know what I mean? So it's funny. So like that has also helped us too, you know? Um, uh, we're not oversaturating cities and people aren't getting sick of us. Uh, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's just, it's just it, uh, I think it's helped everybody. You know what I mean? Us as mm -hmm. a band and the people who are into our band. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all that stuff that there are a lot of benefits to it. And, uh, you know, and even, even, even the way that we, we operate and, and, uh, just, I don't know, just, just how much we, uh, don't take this for granted. And when we are playing shows and whatever we're doing, like we are 110% like in it and love it. And it's not like it's our, you know, 60th show in a row and we're completely burnt out. And, you know, this fest is like any other fest that we've played, like whatever, you know, just, just add that to the schedule. Like, no, man, like we are so psyched and thankful and beyond, um, you know, just beyond happy to like do everything that we do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hopefully that shows. That's super cool. Yeah. Man, the time flew by on this one. That's wow. awesome, man. That's sick. <laughs> I love <laughs> that. that. Great. I was just looking at the clock like, oh man, I don't, I felt like that was like 20 minutes, but uh, that's always the to... best. That's always the best <laughs> rather than the kind of like, you know, scrounging for stuff to talk about or, you know, yeah, we just go. Uh, I could tell. I could tell That's right cool. when we when we picked up the phone, the, or not the phone, but you know what I mean. Yeah, once yeah, we got yeah. Once we hopped on, I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. No, man, go. that's sick. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I, I have a couple classic questions I like to wrap the episodes up with. Uh, but before I do that, I like to give the guests the opportunity to take the stage. You know, you're talking to a few thousand people right now. You can say whatever you want to say. You can shout out your aunt. You can plug anything you want to plug. <laughs> you can do whatever you want right now. Nice. Well, we have uh, we have our new record coming out on May 26th. It's called "Change the Way You Think About Pain." Mm -hmm. uh, comes out on Closed Casket, and uh, yeah, we're we're beyond psyched to have that going on. We have a bunch of shows lined up. Um, one of them is our record release, which is on June 17th in Brooklyn. Um, cool. So that's something that we're looking forward to. And then in, if you go to our site, Incendiary HC, that's where all of our show dates are. Um, incendiary HC is our handle. So on all social media, that's where, you know, you could find us and, um, yeah, I'm just very, very excited for what's going on now. And, uh, you know, excited to be talking to you too, boy. So thanks well, for thank having me. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, that website will be linked down in the show notes for all the podcast listeners. It'll be very easy for you to find. So go check that out and, uh, yeah, check out the band, everybody. All right, here we go. Classic questions. First one. What is your favorite boss pedal? Um, man, my favorite boss pedal. I've always had, like went to boss too. For some reason, I always had boss pedals. I love boss throughout yeah. my life. You know what? So, actually, interestingly enough, on this uh, on this 
the latest record, we were using in the studio uh, the Dunnefex Death Knob. I don't know if you know if you're familiar with that. Basically, what that is, it's a simple pedal with one dial, but it mm-hmm. it almost replicates the um, the Boss HM2, the heavy okay. metal tube mm-hmm. pedal. Um, and I had that pedal early on when I was a kid. Uh, so I so I guess I'll say that I'll say the Boss HM2. And so basically, I I, I didn't use it for really ever. I had it when mm-hmm. I was a kid. Used it a couple of times, lost it at some point, and I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> but again, fast forward all these years, um, Will Putney, who we were working with at the studio, he, he had this the pedal. He's got such good. Yeah, it's everything he works on, he's incredible. Unbelievable. But he yeah. had that pedal, and then he was t- like telling us about it. And it's really funny that, uh, you know, it's funny that there's a pedal to replicate that that thing you know <laughs> it's um, become really popular in the last few years yeah 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 so i gotta say that so so like, let's stick to that the boss hm2 just H-M2. because it just you know it came full circle for me all right i like that that's beautiful yeah beautiful all right classic question the this is the one and for you this is gonna be it's gonna be interesting because you're a new, you're a new york person so what is your favorite kind of pizza oh man yeah, so obviously you can't go wrong with pretty much any pizza you get around here. So aside, I guess aside from uh, honestly a cl- just a regular slice, simple, is is mm-hmm. is like amazing. But yeah. I always loved Sicilian, mm-hmm. right? And a, a nice thick slice and a, a Sicilian corner corner. Yes, slice. That's what you got to do because <laughs> mm-hmm. you get those two crunchy edges. So that. Yes. I'd say that's like one of my favorites. And then, I don't know, if you want to get fancy, maybe like a buffalo chicken slice. Okay, yeah. Side of blue that's, cheese. That's a good oh, late night one. I don't think I've ever heard a New Yorker go for the buffalo chicken before. That's a, Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's a good one. And actually, it's funny. I was, um, I was just talking about this with my sister recently. There, I, don't know, I don't know if you've had this or I've heard of it, but they, they, they make baked ziti slices. I've heard about it. Which I'm is not so sure how I feel about the it. most outlandish, insane thing to even think it, about. It Let's, is. This, all right, we, we already have a slice of pizza. Let's throw a bunch of pasta and more <laughs> cheese on this. It's absolutely <laughs> savage to eat. But I remember eating those things all the time when I was in like high school and college. Mm-hmm. I would I would house like three of those things and then go out drinking and stuff. Which I don't. <laughs> I would be asleep after eating one of them at this point. Oh yeah, totally. You know, so that's a good throwback. I mean, I they, they still make it now, but I haven't eaten one in years. Because <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> so yeah, that's another good one for listeners. If you get your hands on one of those big ziti pizza, crazy. <laughs> I I have to ask this because New York City is is near and dear to my heart. Even though I'm a West Coast boy, but I've I've always enjoyed New York City. Totally uh, like changed my perception on what pizza can be when I went there. Yeah. So so I do want to dive in a little bit nerdier. Like, do you have a favorite pizzeria or two? Yeah. Well. There are, so there was actually one called Rose's Pizza, and it was on the bottom of Penn Station for all you New Yorker, Long Islanders, Mm -hmm. but uh, that place is gone now. So now I'll go to, uh, you know, Joe's Pizza, Joe's Pizza, which Mm -hmm. is a pretty popular one. I love Joe's. And then, um, honestly, whatever one exists while I'm on the run (laughs) is, like, fine. Honestly, also... I'm not even really a pizza snob, to be honest with you. I think the crappiest pizza is still good. I just love pizza. <laughs> I think frozen pizza is great. Um, 
pizza from other states, like, hey, I mean, yeah, maybe it doesn't compare, but I'm, I, I think pizza is good regardless. So I'm not, I'm not a hater on, on any other pizza, and I really love it all. That's okay. one food I will eat. I could really eat all day, any day, no matter what. I, I'm with you. So I'm down, yeah. you know? Yeah, like I'm, I'm thinking you're in, you're in Brooklyn, right? Is that, did I get that right? Yeah, so Roberta's. I love Roberta's. Roberta's is good, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. The bee sting really opened my eyes to the hot honey magic. Yes. Oh, no, it's good. So, and then there's so like, you know, good. there's Pauly G's. Pauly like G's right there. Brick oven. Like that, that's like a, that, that's a whole different genre of pizza, but it's like, it's great. It's, it's so good. good. Yeah. Oh, man. I can yeah, go all day. you can't go wrong. I might have to <laughs> I'm gonna have some for dinner now. Uh, good, good. Let me know what you get. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'll live vicariously. Or if I don't want to eat for the next week, maybe I'll get a big ZD slice. We'll big see. ZD slice. <laughs> Just go to sleep. Yeah, exactly. I'll hibernate mm-hmm. the next week. Rob, thank you so much for coming on. We'll uh, slide over to Patreon and see what kind of weirdness we can get into. Nice. Sound good? Nice. Right. Let's do it. All right. All right, everybody. For Rob, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Alrighty, folks, there you go. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please make sure you go check out Incendiary's new album. It's about to drop. It's going to be awesome. Go to the link in the show notes and check out all the details on the band, where they're going to be, when the album's dropping, all that good stuff, and make sure you give them a follow on the socials as well. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. And if you need more of these conversations in your ear, please go to patreon.com slash tonemob, where for five bucks a month, you too can get extra episodes beamed right to your ears every single week. And this one is no exception. Rob was a gentleman and a scholar. He hung out with me. We nerded out on web development for a little bit, and I spoke way above my pay grade on that and we did a lot of other fun stuff as well we talked about aliens and we brought it right back into 5150s and amplifiers and pedals and everything so we made it all happen on the patreon episode so if you liked this one you're probably going to like the patreon even better and i can say that pretty confidently for just about every single episode that is available there on the Patreon section of the podcast. So if you'd like to support the show and like to get some of the best content, please go over there and check it out. It helps out immensely, immensely, immensely. And if you can't do that, as always, please rate, review, support the show that way, share with your friends, all that good stuff. I know every content creator you know ask for that, but that's because it really does help immensely. So please, please do that. It would mean the world to me, and I would really, really appreciate it. So there you go. All right, folks, here you go. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I'll be back to my regular internet shenanigans very, very soon, and you can talk to me anytime at info at tonemob.com via email. Hit me up on the socials, all that good stuff. I'm available. You know where to find me. Join the Tone Mob Facebook group, all that good stuff. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar 
and playing style. Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hey, this is Chris Santos, host of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Delirious Nomads is a podcast about all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports. And me being a chef and all, we'll be riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.